In this recording, we're going to go through a very interesting issue, which is on what days did the story of Purim, the story told in Megillus Esther, happen. So broadly, we know from the Gemara that it happened around the middle of Nisan, sometime around the time of Pesach. But we're going to review two major chronologies about exactly which days it happened on, and to then try to make sense of specific events, which days they occurred on. And then we'll talk about some of the major questions on this whole topic. I'm going to base much of what I'm going to say on an article in the 10th volume of Yeshurun from Rav Menachem Adler, and I'll add in some other sources. So the story begins in Megillus Esther, Parag Dalet, Pasuk Zion. Esther tells Mordechai Lech, Kenosis Kola Yehudim, Hanim Tzayim Beshushan. She's willing to go into Achashverosh, but she tells him to gather all of the Jews and fast for three days, Laila Vayom, both in the night and in the day. And then the next Pasuk says, Vayavar Mordechai, Vayas Kola Shertzivsal of Esther. Mordechai went and did what Esther had commanded him to do. So Rashi quotes from the Gemara and Megillah and Tesvav Aleph that the word Vayavor, in this sense, doesn't just mean Mordechai went and did it, but it also comes from the word Avera, that he violated something. And the Avera that, so to speak, he committed here was that he canceled Pesach that year. So he had the Jews fasting on the 14th, 15th, and 16th of Nisan. And of course, the 15th of Nisan is the first day of Pesach. So they fasted right through the first day of Pesach. So the way Rashi makes sense of this chronology is that Haman's decree was written and publicized on the 13th of Adar. Then Mordechai and Esther had this whole conversation, and then they publicized to the Jews to begin fasting that night, meaning they fasted the next three days, the 14th, 15th, and 16th of Nisan. And Rashi on the Gemara adds that Haman was hung later that day, meaning the night after the 16th, so presumably on the 17th, maybe even the night of the 17th, which is what we would celebrate as the third night of Pesach. So that was the day that Haman was killed. Now, there's another chronology which is quoted in the Medrash, and the Pirkei of Eliezer has this in Perak Nun, and that is that they fasted one day earlier on the 13th, 14th, and 15th of Nisan. So again, they fasted on the first day of Pesach, but that was the third day of their fast, according to this counting, not the second, the way Rashi had said it. And the Pirkei of Eliezer quotes an interesting conversation between Mordechai and Esther. He says that Mordechai asked her, how can we fast for three days? The third day is going to be the first day of Pesach. So it says that Esther answered back, Ata Rosh Sanhedrin, you're the head of the Sanhedrin, and you're asking me a question like that. Im ein Yisrael, Pesach. If there's no Jews, who's going to observe Pesach? So the priority right now is to save the Jewish people, even if it means fasting on Pesach, so that in the future they'll be able to observe the holiday of Pesach. So according to this second chronology in the Medrash, what happened was on the 13th, Haman's decree was publicized, and that day immediately the Jews began fasting, and they fasted the 13th, 14th, and 15th. So those are the two ways to make sense of when the three fast days were. Now, using this setup, we can try to figure out when other events in the Megillah happened. So there's two incidents where we have a clue as to when they occurred. One is when Esther invites Haman and Achashverosh to the first party. So the Megillah at the beginning of the fifth chapter introduces Vayihi Bayom Hashlishi. It was on the third day. So it sounds like on the simple level, on the third day of the fasting was when Esther invited Haman and Achashverosh to the first party. Now, in addition, the Gemara in Megillah and Tezayin Amid Aleph says that when 
Achashverosh told Haman to take Mordechai around on the horse and announce in front of him that he was such a great guy that saved the king. So the Gemara says that there's a medrash that Haman came to find Mordechai, and he found him teaching his students in the yeshiva the laws of the Minchas HaOmer, the Omer sacrifice, which happens on the 16th day of Nisan. And Rashi explains that they were talking about in Yonah Yoma things that were relevant to that day because that day was the 16th of Nisan, meaning it was the second day of Pesach when Haman had to take Mordechai around on the horse. So using those clues, let's try to put together the timeline for both of these approaches, the Medrash and Rashi. So using the Medrashes first, this all works out very nicely because on the 13th they began fasting immediately when the decree went out. Then on the third day of the fasting, as the Megillah says, which would have been the 15th of Nisan, the first day of Pesach, that's when Esther invited Haman and Achashverosh to the party. Then that night, which is the night of the 16th of Nisan, was when Achashverosh had insomnia, couldn't fall asleep. The next day, which is the 16th of Nisan, he told Haman to take Mordechai around on the horse. So that's why when Haman came to find Mordechai, it was the 16th of Nisan. And then on the 16th of Nisan, so the second day of Pesach, was when the second party that Esther hosted for Haman and Achashverosh happened. So that timeline all works out nicely. But according to Rashi, there's a bit of a problem here because the days don't line up. Because if they started fasting on the 14th, then the third day of the fasting would have been the 16th. But if the first party with Haman and Achashverosh happened on the 16th, so then that means Achashverosh's insomnia was that night, meaning the night of the 17th. And then Haman would have been taking Mordechai around on the 17th, not the 16th. So it wouldn't be correct that uh, Mordechai was teaching his students about the Minchas HaOmer if it was the day after the Omer would have been brought in. It was the 17th and not the 16th. So Rashi explains in the Gemara and Megillah on Tazayin and Aleph that when the Megillah says that Esther invited Haman and Achashverosh on the third day, it's not a reference to the third day of the fasting because it actually was only the second day of the fasting. It was the 15th of Nisan, the first day of Pesach. And the fasting had begun the day before on the 14th. So what the Megillah means is that it was the third day after the messengers had gone out, after Haman's decree had been publicized. On the third day from that, which had happened on the 13th of Adar, that was when Esther invited Haman and Achashverosh to the party. So even according to Rashi's timeline, where the decree was publicized on the 13th of Nisan, and then the Jews started fasting on the 14th. But he agrees that the 15th, meaning the first day of Pesach, was the day that Esther invited Haman and Achashverosh to the first party. And then that night, Achashverosh had insomnia and couldn't sleep. And then on the 16th of Nisan was when he told Haman to take Mordechai around with the horse. And that was the day when they had the second party. So all of that happened on the second day of Pesach. Now, the Gemara in Megillah on Tazayinu Aleph explains that when the Megillah says, Vayoshav Mordechai al-Shar HaMelech, that after he was paraded around by Haman, he returned to where he had been sitting. So the Gemara says, Sheshav l'saku l'tani, so that he came back to his fasting and his davening. So according to Rashi's timeline, based on the Gemara, that would make sense because the 16th was still the third day of the fasting. So Mordechai returned that day from his parade and he continued with the three-day fast. But the problem is that the Medrash also quotes 
that drusha, that Mordechai came back on the 16th to his fasting. But according to the Medrash, that's problematic because the Medrash's chronology is that they fasted the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th. So on the 16th day, when Mordechai returned from being paraded around, he was no longer fasting. So the Mfarshim on the Medrash, the Yifayanaf and the Rashash, they deal with this issue. And they say that Mordechai added another day. He was just fasting uh, an additional day, but it really was not part of the original three days, which everyone else had fasted. Now, Rashi in the Gemara and Megillah on Tesvav and Aleph gives us one final date, which is he says that Haman was hung the night after the 16th. So it seems to be that he was hung on the night of the 17th. So this adds to our timeline because as we saw on the 16th was when Haman had to parade Mordechai around and then later that day was when Esther hosted the second party with Haman and Achashverosh and then according to Rashi that night, so sometime at the beginning of the 17th was when Haman was hung. Now, the Mfarshim have a question on this whole timeline, the way we're setting it up, because as we've said, both according to Rashi and according to the Medrash, the first party that Esther hosted was on the 15th, meaning the first day of Pesach. And then that night, meaning what we would call the second night of Pesach, the second Seder was when Achashverosh couldn't sleep. And then on the 16th, was when Haman had to parade Mordechai around in the second party. The problem, though, is that there's a medrash which implies that the redemption happened, meaning Achashverosh's insomnia happened on the same night as Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim began. So that makes a connection between the night we were redeemed from Paro, meaning the 15th of Nisan, and the night that we were saved from Haman, or the redemption from Haman began, which would have also been the 15th night of Nisan. So that goes against this chronology that on the 15th night of Nisan, nothing really happened. It was only the next day that Esther's party began, and then that night, meaning the 16th of Nisan, Achashverosh couldn't sleep. So there's a few different approaches to this issue. The first is from the Manos HaLevi, from Rab Shlomo HaLevi Alkabetz, most famous for writing Lechadodi, so he has a very important commentary on Megillas Esther, and in Perek Dalet, Pasuk Tezayin, he goes through a long discussion about this whole issue, and he goes through many of the points that we've already seen, the two different chronologies between Rashi and the Medrash, and he makes a number of important points. For example, he questions the Pirkei Rebeliezer and the Medrash's timeline that the Jews began fasting on the 13th, and he asks that the halacha is that you have to accept a fast day the day before you fast, that mincha. You can't just start a fast day without accepting it. So how were the Jews able to fast the 13th that day when the decree only became apparent that day? So they weren't able to accept it the day before. According to Rashi's timeline, it makes sense because on the 13th that afternoon, they accepted the fast and then they began it the next day. But according to the Medrash, when did they accept the fast? And his Talmud, Rabbi Elisha Galiko, in his commentary on the Megillah, so he points out an even more basic problem, which is by the time the Jews would have been able to find out about the decree and gather themselves together and start fasting, already most of the 13th day would have passed. So how do we count that as the first day of the fasting when by the time they started fasting, it would have just been a couple of hours 
towards the end of the day. So because of this, the Manos Alevi is more comfortable with Rashi's timeline that they began the fast on the 14th and went through the 16th. And the Manos Alevi goes through a bunch of other Midrashim to try to square them all together with the timeline. What about the Medrash that says that the redemption of Purim began on the same night as the redemption of Pesach? So he doesn't have a great answer to this. He has a sort of forced answer. He says that it's Lav Dafka. It doesn't mean literally that it happened on the exact same night as the redemption from Egypt, so the night of the 15th, but it means that they both happened at night. It doesn't have to be the same night, it's just any night. So even though the redemption from Paro happened on the 15th, the redemption from Haman happened on the 16th. And uh, he says that's the way to make sense of the whole timeline. So that's uh, the first approach of the Manos Halevi, and it basically preserves the timeline that we've been discussing up until now, and it tries to fit in some Midrashim that don't fit with it and make sense of the timeline. Now, there's another approach from the Radvaz. This is in his Chuvas in Simon 818. Very interesting approach. He suggests that there's a distinction between the date that they actually observed Pesach, the year of Purim, versus the date that it actually had occurred on the solar calendar. So he says, as we know, there's a difference between the solar calendar versus the way we establish our calendars based on the lunar calendar. So in the year of Purim, the base din had established that Pesach would be on whatever night the 15th was, but actually the night of the redemption was a different night. So that's how it could be that even though Achashverosh's insomnia was not on the night of the 15th, it was on the exact correct night when Yitzhak Mitzrayim had happened. So that's a very interesting approach. And he's actually dealing with an even bigger problem, which is not the issue we're discussing, that it seems that Achashverosh's insomnia was on the night of the 16th instead of the 15th. But there's an even bigger problem with the Targum on Megillah, because in chapter 6, he says that the night of Achashverosh's insomnia is the same night that Sarah was taken to Abimelech's house, and it's the same night in history, meaning it's the anniversary of the night that the firstborns of Mitzrayim were killed. And at the end of chapter 5, the Targum says that that night was the night that they were redeemed from Paro and Sancheirev. So he has all this significance to the night of the 15th, that it's the night when they were saved from Mitzrayim and other events happened in the Jewish history, and they were saved from Haman because Achashverosh had insomnia. But on the Pasuk of Vayihiba Yom Ashlishi, that on the third day, Esther invited Achashverosh and Haman to the party, so he explains that that's the third day of Pesach. Meaning, according to the Targum, that day was the 17th of Nisan. So that doesn't fit in with any of the timelines we've been discussing, because according to the Medrash, it was certainly no later than the 15th, because that was both the third day of the fasting and the third day of the messengers going out. Uh, even according to Rashi, as we said, Rashi agrees that that happened on the 15th day because it was the third day of the messengers. But according to Rashi, at the latest, it could have been on the 16th day, which would have been the third day of the fasting. The fasting began on the 14th, so the 16th was the third day of the fasting. But according to the Targum, it sounds like the fasting began on the 15th, meaning it started on the first day of Pesach. 
And then it went on through the 16th and the 17th so that the third day of Pesach was the third day of the fast. So this is a totally different timeline than we've been dealing with so far. And uh, that's how Reb Elisha Galiko that we quoted before, that's how he understands it, that the Targum really has a whole different timeline here based on the Ibn Ezra's idea, which is that they didn't hear about the decree until the 14th. So even though it was finalized on the 13th, it only became publicized the next day on the 14th. And then they agreed to fast the day following that, which was the 15th, 16th, and 17th. So this would be a third option for when the fasts were. Now, there's another way to make sense of the Targum, which is in the Feanaf. He says that the Targum agrees that the fasts were earlier. So at some point between the 13th and the 16th, they fasted. And Esther came on the 17th to invite Haman and Achashverosh to her party. So in that regard, the Targum disagrees with Rashi and the Medrash's timeline. They both say that Esther invited Haman and Achashverosh to the party on the 15th. But according to the Targum, it's two days later. And what does it mean in the Megillah when it says on the third day? So as we said, there's already two explanations. One is on the third day of the fasting. And the other is on the third day after the messengers had gone out. But according to the Targum, there's a third explanation, the Afeanaf says, which is on the third day of Pesach. So that's how he gets to his timeline that the first party happened on the 17th of Nisan. So according to this approach, the Targum doesn't disagree about when the fasts happen, but he does disagree about when the first party and then the parade with Mordechai, and then the second party happened. So either way, the Targum holds that Esther invited them to the first party on the 17th, then that night, which would already have been the night of the 18th, was when Achashverosh had insomnia, and then the next day, so it's already the 18th, was when Haman took Mordechai in the parade, and then they had the second party, and then Haman was killed. So this is the even bigger problem the Radvaz is dealing with. How could the Targum say that the redemption from Haman happened on the same night as Yitzhak Mitzrayim, which happened on the 15th of Nisan, when according to the Targum's timeline, the redemption from Haman, meaning Achashverosh's insomnia, didn't happen until a full three nights later, the 18th of Nisan. So that's where the Radvaz distinguishes between the lunar year and the solar year, that even though that year... The Bastin had made it Rosh Chodesh 18 days earlier, so it was the 18th night of Nisan when Achashverosh had insomnia, but in actuality, it was the same night on the solar calendar as the night which had been Yitzias Mitzrayim. So that's a very fascinating approach. Now, there's another approach from the Maharsha to make sense of the Medrash that says that the redemption from Haman and Yitzias Mitzrayim happened on the same night, so that would have been the 15th, even though, based on our timeline, Esther invited Haman and Achashverosh to the party on the day of the 15th, and Achashverosh's insomnia would have been on the 16th. So the Marsha says that even though in the Megillah, first Esther invites Haman and Achashverosh to the party, and then after that, we were told the story of Achashverosh's insomnia, but we have a principle that ain't muktamum u'charbatorah. We can sometimes say that stories are not in chronological order in the Torah. So he applies that to the Megillah also, that we could say ain't muktamum u'char in the Megillah. So it's possible that Achashverosh's insomnia happened the night before Esther invited him and Haman to the party. So based on that, we could say Achashverosh had insomnia on the night of the 15th, meaning the first night of Pesach. 
And then the next day, so the day of the 15th, the first day of Pesach, was when Esther invited Haman and Achashverosh to the first party. And then the next day, meaning the second day of Pesach, the 16th of Nisan, that was the day that Haman had to take Mordechai on the parade, and that was the day of the second party. So the Marsha basically agrees with most of the timeline we've been presenting throughout, except he moves the... Achashverosh's insomnia from the night of the 16th, one night earlier to the night of the 15th, the same as Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and then both of Esther's parties happened following Achashverosh's insomnia. So the Rashash asks on the Marsha's theory and his timeline that the Gemara Megillah on Tesvav says that Achashverosh had insomnia because he was worried, why did Esther invite Haman to the party? He was worried that they had some sort of relationship and uh, he thought maybe they're plotting to kill him. So uh, that Gemara says clearly that Achashverosh's insomnia followed Esther's invitation to Haman to the party. So that goes against the Marsha's timeline that the invitation to the party happened after Achashverosh's insomnia. And Rav Adler in this piece points out that there seems to be even a problem in the Megillah explicitly against the Marsha's theory because when Haman confers with his wife about plotting against Mordechai, so he mentions that he's already been invited to the party, and then after that he goes to talk to Achashverosh and ends up having to take Mordechai in the parade. So it sounds like all of that happened after he was already invited and not before. So those are some basic ideas and approaches to the timeline of when they fasted and the, when the parties and the parade and Haman being hung and Nachashverosh's insomnia when all of that happened. Now let's talk about a few issues that come up from this whole discussion. Number one is, did Esther eat at the parties that she made? So as we said, the parties were on the 15th and the 16th, according to the major timelines that we discussed. And the fasting, according to the Medrash, was on the 13th, 14th, and 15th. So then she wouldn't have been able to eat at the first party, but she would have been able to eat at the second party. But according to Rashi, the fasting was the 14th through the 16th, so she wouldn't have been able to eat at either party. So the Feyanaf says that according to the Medrash, that's exactly what happened. Esther did not eat at the first party. But she did eat at the second party because it was already on the 16th and it was after the fasts were over. And that's why when the Pasuk describes it, so in the first party it says, Asher Osesa, that she had made, meaning she made it for Haman and Achashverosh, but she did not eat. And then she invites them to come back to the second party. She says, Lishtos im Esther Hamalka, to drink with Esther. So that time, she agreed to eat with them, so she invited them again for the second party where she would join them. You know, you could imagine someone saying, oh, I'm not able to eat today, I'm uh, feeling a little sick, so come back tomorrow and we'll have another party and I'll join you. So that's uh, according to the Medrash's approach. But even according to Rashi's approach, so uh, the Mfarshim, the Manos Halevi, and Rabdavid Luria, they both argue that she ate at the second party too. Even though according to Rashi, it was on the 16th and it was still the third day of the fast, but they both suggest that since she saw that she had been accepted favorably by Achashverosh, so she saw that the fasting and the prayers had been accepted and the Jews were headed towards redemption, so she could already see that the situation had eased up and therefore she broke the fast. It had already been three nights and two days, so she had done the majority of the fasting and she felt that at the last few hours she was able to 
break her fast because she saw that the redemption was coming. And Rab David Luria compares this to the Shulchan Aruch in Simen Tavkuf Samach Tes and Tavkuf Ayin Hey in the laws of Tanis. So he says that if a community has a fast day because of a crisis and then it passes before Chatzos, so they're able to break the fast. So that would be a similar thing here, that the crisis had passed. Esther could tell that, so she broke her fast at the second meal. Now, interestingly, Rab David Luria even suggests that according to the Medrash's timeline, the period of Eliezer, it could be Esther even ate at the first meal. And he suggests that even though it was the 15th when Esther invited Haman and Achashverosh to the meal, and that was the third day of the fast, according to the Pirkei Dreb Eliezer, but she went in around sunset time, so as the fast was ending, and she invited them to a meal that day, which actually meant that night. So for Haman and Achashverosh, it felt like it was the same day, but of course the Jewish calendar already turned into the next day, so it was the night of the 16th, and the fast was over, and so she was able to eat at both meals according to that approach. So those are some of the approaches as to how Esther ate at the meals if they happened on the fast days. Now there's a second problem, which is a very big problem, because as we saw, the Gemara interprets Vayavor Mordechai, that Mordechai did an Avera, so to speak, because he canceled the first day of Pesach and he had everyone fasting instead of celebrating Yom Tov. So, first of all, there's a minor issue here, which is why does it say Shehavir Yom Rishon Shel Pesach, that he canceled the first day of Pesach, when according to Rashi's timeline, they fasted from the 14th through the 16th, so he canceled also the second day of Pesach. In other words, there was no Seder that year, not the first Seder, nor the second Seder. So the Ifeya Naf says that maybe they didn't have the second day of Yantif at that point. They hadn't instituted to keep it yet. But there's a much bigger problem here. And Rabbi Yonason Ibishitz in the Yaros Dvash and Chelek Basim and Tess, so he goes through this. And that is the Gemara seems to say that the problem with fasting on Pesach is you're not allowed to fast on Yantif. So by Mordechai telling people to fast over Pesach, he's violating that halacha. But Rabbi Yonason Ibishitz asks there's a much bigger problem, which is they're not eating matzah and maror. You have to eat matzah and maror on Pesach, mido raisa. So if you're fasting, you're not eating that. So why doesn't the Gemara focus on that issue? So this that they didn't eat matzah and maror that year, the Manos HaLevi quotes from Rabbi Yehuda Ibn Shushan that he reads that when Esther says to Mordechai, Tsumu alai, fast for me, al tochlu al tishtu, don't eat and don't drink. So what's the word don't eat and don't drink adding? So he explains don't eat means don't eat matzah and don't drink means don't drink the arbakoso. So she's basically telling him fast and also cancel the Seder. And the Vilnagon also writes that there's a medrash that when they fasted that year, they did not eat matzah and maror. But there are other approaches which say that even though they fasted, they still ate matzah that year, and that's why the Gemara focuses on the fasting, but not the lack of matzah, because they did eat matzah. So Rabbi Yonason Ibshitz in the Yaros Dvash says a very brilliant approach, and he says, first of all, why does the Gemara say, Vayavor Mordechai, that Mordechai didn't have a Seder? It should say that the whole Klal Yisrael, all of the Jewish people missed the Seder that year because everyone had to fast those three days. So he explains that what happened here was, as we said, in those times, they were still basing the calendar on the Besdin. So they would accept witnesses for the new month, and then they would establish when the new month's going to begin. So he says that in Shushan, they assumed that it was an Adar Chaser, it was a 29-day Adar, because that's the way it was supposed to be usually, and therefore they started counting Rosh Chodesh Nisan from the 30th day.
But Hashem did a miracle that year, and He made it that the Bezdin in Yerushalayim only accepted the witnesses on the 30th day, so that Rosh Chodesh was on the 31st day. It was pushed off one day that year. So now when the Jews in Shushan started fasting on what they thought was the 13th day, so they then fasted on the 13th, 14th, and 15th, according to the Medrash, and then they broke their fast, and that night, which they thought was the night of the 16th, they ate their matzah and they had their seder. But in actuality, according to the way the Besdin had calculated the month, that was the night of the 15th. So the rest of the Jews actually ended up keeping their Seder. There was no problem that they didn't have matzah that year because they ended up eating it on the right day. They just didn't realize that they did the mitzvah. But as we said before from the Yifei Anaf, that Mordechai kept fasting one extra day. That's why he came back after the parade and he was still fasting, even though it was the 16th and the fast was over according to the Medrash. But we said that Mordechai just had one more day for himself. So Mordechai didn't eat the night of the 16th. And that's why it says, Vayavor Mordechai, that Mordechai that year did an Avera by not eating the matzah and the maror properly on the first day of Pesach. But everyone else had not missed matzah and maror in actuality, even though they fasted on what they thought was the first day of Pesach. So that's a very brilliant approach. The uh, lingering problem, though, with the Yaros Dvash is why does the Gemara say that Mordechai intended to make the Jews fast on Yantif? In other words, Mordechai's intention was that they wouldn't eat matzah to begin with, even though Hashem orchestrated it, that it worked out that they did eat matzah, but the intention was that they would pass over and skip matzah that year. So why does the Gemara only focus on the fact that they would fast on Yantif? So the Aros Vash doesn't deal with that, and it also only fits with the, the Medrash's timeline, but not with Rashi's timeline, where they fasted through the 16th. So they would have missed even if Pesach was pushed off by a day. Now, there is another approach to this question, which says that even though they fasted, they still ate matzah, and that's in the Aruch Laner, and in the Sefer Daf al-Adaf on Masechus Megillah, he has a few pages on this, and he puts it together very nicely, he quotes that this approach is also in the Arugas HaBosem, and he quotes a bunch of Torah journals that discuss this back and forth, but the basic approach is that the Gemara says in order to violate the fast of Yom Kippur, you have to eat a Kosevis, which is larger than a Kazayis, which is the minimum amount that has to be eaten for matzah. So the approach of the Aruch Laner is that if Mordechai modeled his fast after Yom Kippur, then you would only violate, you'd break the fast by eating a kosevis. But if you ate less than that, meaning if you ate a kazayis, then you would not have broken the fast. So it could be that the Jews were supposed to eat a kazayis of matzah, which would be less than the kosevis. So in that way, they would keep fasting, but they would still fulfill the mitzvah of matzah. So someone asked the Aruch Laner that how could you say that this fast was modeled after Yom Kippur, which is Inui, that you have to afflict yourself, when in the Megillah it says very clearly that Esther said, don't eat. And eating is always the shear of Kazayah. So this is not a fast which is similar to Yom Kippur, where you have to afflict yourself and eating less than a kosevis, it doesn't calm you down, so it's still affliction. But this is a fast like any other fast where you're prohibited to eat achila, and achila is always a kazayas. So how could they eat a kazayas of matzah? So that's the question that the Arach Laner was asked. 
So he answers that, yes, even though it says Achila, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't make sense. Why should they make it more prohibited than Inui, especially when you're not going to be able to do the mitzvah? So we have to say that this Achila doesn't mean a Kazayis, it's just the word that's being used, but it means more like Yom Kippur, which is Inui. Now they quote another question on this from the Chazon Ish. Apparently Rab Chaim Ozer Grodzenski once told the Chazon Ish this answer, and he asked him that the Gemara Nyevamos says that it would be a miracle to live without eating or drinking for three days. And the Gemara asks, what about in Megillus Esther, where they fasted for three days? So the Chazanish says, well, if they're eating a little bit, then it's not a question. Of course, you can survive three days eating little nibbles. Obviously, the Gemara assumes that they didn't eat anything. So uh, that's a problem with the Aruch Lener's approach. Now, the Aruch Lener himself, in his Chuvas Binyan Tzion, has a similar approach, which is a little different. It doesn't focus on the measurements, the Shiurim, but it uses a similar approach based on eating Shlokaderech Achila. So if you eat something abnormally, it doesn't break the fast, only if you eat something in the normal way. So it's possible, though, that eating something abnormally would fulfill the mitzvah of matzah. So if that's the case, it could be they ate it in an abnormal way, and therefore they fulfilled the mitzvah of matzah without breaking the fast. So that's another way to have this approach where they did eat matzah even though they didn't break the fast. And again, there was all sorts of discussion about this approach in the Torah journals, and some people argued back that you do not fulfill the mitzvah of matzah by eating it shalokaderach achila, and there's a Mishnah Lamelech which brings up this whole issue. Now, the Aruch Lener has another solution to this, which is based on a third issue, which we'll discuss now, which is, was this fast consecutive, meaning they fasted for 72 hours straight, or did they eat at night, so they were only fasting during the day? So there's a debate in the Midrashim over this issue. As we saw before, the Gemara says that it's possible to fast for three days straight because that's what it says they did in the Megillah. So obviously the Gemara understands this to be a consecutive 72-hour fast. But the Aruch Lener quotes that there's other Midrashim that say that they only fasted in the day, not in the night. So it was not a consecutive fast. They were eating at night. Why then did Esther say that they should fast Lila Vayom, day and night? So he says the first fast was day and night. It was a 24-hour fast. And then after that, the next two days were only during the day, not during the night. So the Aruch Lener says, to return to our previous question from the Yaros Tavash, that this would answer why the Gemara is not concerned about them eating matzah if they were eating at night. So then it's possible they ate their matzah at night, and then the next day they fasted again. So the only concern was the fasting on Yantif, but not missing the matzah. So that would be an answer to that question, but again, it goes against the Gemara Nyevamos. Now, to return to this issue of did they fast straight or not, so the Rivosh in his Chuvas in Simon 416, so he also explains that there's a machlokas between Chazal, that the Gemara says that they fasted straight, whereas the Medrash says they did not fast straight, but unlike the Arach Laner, who says that they ate at night, he says that there were three 24-hour fasts. In other words, they were fasting a 24-hour period. It was just not consecutive. So they would fast a 24-hour period, then they would stop, then they would fast a 24-hour period, then they would stop. So there were breaks in the middle, but it was a three-day full fast.
So those are the two basic options. If they didn't fast 72 hours, either they ate at night or they fasted three 24-hour periods. Now, Rav Yaakov Emdin in the Moruk Tzia in Simen Tafresh Pevav and the Chassam Sofer in Avodah Zara on Lamed Dalet Ramad Aleph, so they suggest the middle approach that they didn't fast 72 hours straight, but we can still say that they fasted in the night so it's true that they fasted day and night because they say that they would add on a little bit the day before and after nightfall, they would wait a little bit to keep eating. So the additional time before and after each day's fast is what we consider to be the nighttime fast. So that's a way to say that they did eat within the 72 hours, but they still fasted a part of the night, which is why we consider it a fast of a day and a night. So that's the Rabbi Yaakov Emden and the Chasim Sofer. Now, the Manos HaLevi also discusses this issue, and he seems to have a similar approach to Rav Yaakov Emden, a little different, but he quotes a Medrash that they used to eat just a little bit so that they could survive before the next day's fast began. So they were fasting three days, but it doesn't mean they didn't have any food whatsoever. They ate a little bit just in order to be able to survive and do the next day of fasting uh, right before the new fast day would begin at sunset. So that's his way of making sense of this whole issue of how they survived three days without eating. And then he also quotes a whole different approach, uh, unlike any of these midrashim, which is that when Esther said, fast, don't eat, don't drink, Laila Vayom, that the Laila Vayom was not going on the fasting, it was going on the davening. So she was saying, you should fast a reasonable amount of time, but you should be davening day and night for me. So that, of course, would be a whole different approach to this whole issue. Now, the primary discussion in halacha of whether a person can survive for three days without food or water is in Hilcha Shavuos, if someone makes a vow not to eat or drink for three days. So the Rambam in Hilcha Shavuos, Perak Hei, Halacha Chav, so he says that you can't survive three days without sleeping, but uh, you could survive three days without eating, but you're not able to survive seven days without eating. So that's how he divides it on a biological level. And the Mepharshim, the Kesef Mishnah, and the Bach, and Yeradeus, and Reish Lamed Vav, they discuss where the Rambam got these measurements that biologically a person can't survive three days without sleep or seven days without food. But interestingly enough, we have a number of Mepharshim, major achronim, who comment that a person is able to live three days without food, that they've seen it themselves. Uh, the Maser Rokeach on the Rambam in Hilcho Shvuos writes that uh, we see people that fast for six days straight, day and night, and they survive. And the Minchas Chinoch and Mitzvah Lamed says that uh, we know biologically that a person can certainly go three days without eating. So certainly the Rambam would have known that. He was a great doctor. And Rav Adler quotes that in the Shadows of Shuvah's Eitan HaEzrachi, he quotes that we see men and women sometimes fasting three, even four or five days straight, day and night, and they don't die. And he says he knew a guy from Lvov who used to fast from Motzei Shabbos until Erev Shabbos. So he would fast six days a week for many years, and he was able to survive. And also the Chidah and Kisei Rachamim quotes that he saw the Arachayim, the great commentator on the Torah, who was living in Yushalayim, that he had a custom, which is mentioned in Masachah Sofrim, 
to commemorate the three fast days that Esther told the Jews to fast. So there's a custom to fast in Adar three days. So Rab Chaim Atar, the Arachaim, used to fast for three consecutive days before Purim for 72 hours, day and night. So that was how he seems to have understood how the fast days were done in the times of Esther. And there's other support that fasting three days is doable. The commentary Yosef Lekach on Megillus Esther says that Esther chose three days because she knew that was doable. In Shmuel Aleph, in Perek Lamed, Pasuk Yud Beis, it talks about that he fasted for three days and nights, and then he got back his spirit. So you see that after three days and nights, he really was winded, and he needed to eat. So that's where Esther learned that the fast should be three days. And also the Gemara in Sanhedrin, on Samach Dalaram and Aleph, talks about that the Ansheik Nesagdola fasted for three days to get rid of the Yetzir Hara for Avodah Zara. So those are all interesting sources about fasting for three Three days, and there's even some sources that seem to contradict this Rambam that you can't live without eating for seven days. So the Gemara Vodiz Zara and Chesamet Aleph says that Adam fasted for eight days. So the Taras Chaim says that it must be that it was consecutive; it was eight days with the night, because the Gemara in Erevin on Yerchesamet Beis says that he fasted 130 years. So what was the difference between the 130-year fast and the eight-day fast? So it must be that in the 130-year fast, he obviously ate in the nights. He fasted every day for 130 years, but he ate at night. Whereas in the eight-day fast, he didn't eat at night either. So that's an interesting source on that. And in Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer, at the beginning, Perak Aleph, it says that when Rebbe Eliezer ben Horkness went to learn... So he fasted for two weeks, and it also says that he fasted for eight days straight, and there was a smell coming out of his breath. So uh, those are interesting sources about that. Now, we'll end this whole discussion, if anyone still has stamina, with one last question, which the Mepharshim asks, which is that the Gemara Megillah, Tazayin Medalov, says that when Haman came to take Mordechai for the parade, so again, as we've been counting the timeline According to most countings, that was on the 16th day of Nisan, what we would consider the second day of Pesach. So the Gemara says that Mordechai said, I have to prepare, I have to shave and shower in order to use the king's chariot. So the Fe'anaf asks, how was he able to shave when it was the second day of Pesach and he was living outside of Eretz Yisrael, so it would have been Yantif. So we mentioned this before, he says that at that time they didn't have the minhag, they didn't establish that you have to keep a second day of Yantif. So that's why Mordechai was able to go shave, even though for us nowadays that would be the second day of Pesach. For him it was just Cholamoid. But the problem still is, in the Maritz Chios, in his margins, in the Gemara there, asks that it's still Cholamoid. You're not allowed to shave on Cholamoid. So how did Mordechai go ahead and shave on Cholamoid? So I don't think this is the biggest problem because it's a matter of life and death for the Jewish people, so you could certainly shave. But the Maritz Chios has a different answer, which is the Halacha is that if you're not able to shave before Yantif, so then you can shave on Cholamoid. The only people who are prohibited to shave on Cholamoid is if you could have shaved before Yantif and you chose not to, you'd rather just do it on Cholamoid. So he says Mordechai was the person who was not able to shave before Cholamoid, before Yantif, because he was busy fasting and praying and trying to save the Jewish people. So he was in the category of people who were first able to shave on Cholamoid, and that's why he was allowed to shave that day. And Rabbi Yonis and Ibishitz in the Yaros Dvash and Chelek Aleph Drushyud so he suggests that he had a non-Jew do it. And even though there's a machlokis between the Taz and the Shach, whether a woman could have a non-Jew cut her 
nails in order to go to the mikvah on Shabbos and Yantif, but on Cholamoid, everyone agrees that it's okay, so that's how he was able to do it there. And Rav Adler quotes that the Gemara says that Yosef was taken out of the pit on Rosh Hashanah. So the Chasim Sofer asks, how could he have shaved if it was Rosh Hashanah? So uh, the Chasim Sofer says the same basic thing, that because he was going in front of the king, he had to shave. So it was a mitzvah, he was able to do it, and he asked the non-Jew to do it. So the same idea that we just said with Mordechai would also be for Yosef. Uh, the Aros Dvash there raises other halachic issues. Again, based on our timeline, a lot of this stuff was going on over Pesach. So, for example, he asks that if the parade with Haman and Mordechai was on the 16th, and that was the second day of Pesach, how could he go to the bath? So he says, well, that's only Drabbanon, so maybe they didn't make that Gzeira at that time, but uh, how could he get on a horse? So uh, there's all these halachic issues that are potentially here. Some people love these kinds of questions, some people don't. The simple answer, as Rav Adler ends, is that, of course, they were struggling to save the Jewish people. So all bets were off. We saw that they were even willing to cancel the Seder and skip matzah, so certainly they would have been willing to shave and take a bath and ride on a horse, anything that was needed in order to save the Jewish people, they were willing to do. So that's the simple answer to all of the halachic problems. But again, it's interesting to note that the timeline of these events was very much over Pesach, and that raises some questions that the Mepharshim deal with, and it also connects in a very powerful way between Purim and Pesach. So those are some thoughts on the timeline and where the Purim story fell out on the calendar. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal.